Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Take your Bibles and turn in them to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. And as you're doing so, our, our senior pastor, Bear Morton, he sends his regards this morning. I got a text from him yesterday around 8 p.m., and he mentioned to me, he said, Nate, pray for me. I think I'm going down. <laughs> so I responded back and said, do you need a preacher? And he said, yeah, that'd be nice. So unfortunately, you're stuck with me this morning, and I'm at that point in ministry where I've run out of sermons in my back pocket. So... I was up for eight hours in preparation. I apologize if I'm staring at my notes today, trying to keep, keep myself moving forward in the proper direction, as well as uh, making sure I know what I'm saying. But Psalm 117 is our text this morning, and it's always our joy to open up God's Word together. I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is a derivative of the New American Standard text. You'll see a few deviations from it this morning. Well, let's read this together. It says, Praise Yahweh, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness prevails over us. And the truth of Yahweh is everlasting. Praise Yah. So reads God's holy word may it encourage our hearts this morning. It never ceases to amaze us how the smallest things can have such a large impact. You might be impressed to know that your pinky toe, while seemingly useless, is critical in providing balance to your body. Doctors say without your pinky toe, it would be virtually impossible for you to stand, let alone walk. Some of the smallest fish in the world sustain entire coral reefs, which are known for being some of the largest ecosystems on our planet. I'm repeatedly amazed that a 10-pound baby, now 11-pound baby, can produce such large bowel movements. 
But did you know that Apollo 11 would not be remembered as it is today if it weren't for a felt-tipped marker? It's not a story you hear every day. When the astronauts landed on the moon, one of the circuit breaker switches broke as they were exiting the lunar module. And this breaker, amazingly enough, controlled the engine necessary for the rocket to lift off of the moon. Without this breaker, there would be no returning to Earth, and the story would go much differently than we know it today. Now, in, a, in an attempt to repair the breaker, you obviously can't stick anything metal into it. It would have short-circuited the entire ship. And so, Buzz Aldrin, one of the astronauts of Apollo 11, in his quick-thinking nature, he pulled out a felt-tipped pen from his pocket. This pen, or marker, I should say, was plastic. So it was non-conducive, non non-conductive, whatever that term is. And it's just small enough to fit into the switch. So, without hesitation, he sticks the marker in and flips the switch. And the ship runs normally. Apollo 11 hinged on a felt-tipped marker. And it's interestingly enough, that marker now sits on display in the Smithsonian. There are replicas of it that, they, that the company who made them produce that are sell, they sell for somewhere in the range of $700. Don't rush to eBay. You won't be able to get it. There are many small things that have tremendous impacts, but nothing quite like the brevity and the simplicity of Psalm 117. Derek Kidner, a great commentator of the Psalms, he says about this Psalm, its faith is great and its reach is enormous. Spurgeon said that this Psalm, while little in letter, is large in spirit. The great Martin Luther, he understood the immensity of this psalm and wrote 36 pages on it. I promise we'll be done before lunch. This is nothing to be scoffed at, for sure. You may sit down to do your quiet time in this text in the morning, only to finish 30 seconds later, close your Bible, and call it a day. You haven't even taken a sip of your coffee at that point yet. A small but mighty psalm. It's not just two verses to be read lightly, but these verses, this psalm, demands our consideration this morning. It's short but impressive. It's small but potent. Interesting note, uh, the, the curious location of this psalm when we look at it in the grouping of psalms around it, it's part of what we call the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. They're so named, Psalm 113 to 118, because they celebrate the Israelite exile out of Egypt. If you flip back a page or two to Psalm 113, 
you'll see that it praises God for his care of his lowly servants. It says in verse 7 of Psalm 113, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts high the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles, with the nobles of his people. And then, moving down into Psalm 114, it shows how God delivered his people from Egypt. The language is so rich. Take a look at verse 3. It says, The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. And then down in verse 7, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob. And then in Psalm 115, kind of continuing that thought a little bit, it demonstrates how God, Yahweh, is so much better than these Egyptian idols, than these pagan idols of other nations. It says there in verse 4, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. As for their hands, they do not feel. As for their feet, they do not walk. They don't make a sound with their throat. Everyone, those who trust in them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. And then in verse 9, it says, O Israel, trust in Yahweh, for he is far greater. Then in Psalm 116, it's a thankfulness psalm written in the first person. For God's deliverance. It says in, in verse 5 and 6, Gracious is Yahweh and righteous, and our God is compassionate. Yahweh keeps the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for Yahweh has dealt bountifully with you. Thankfulness for God's deliverance. The, these Hallel Psalms, a praise of a, a collection of praise psalms to God for his deliverance of his people from Egypt. And then we come to little Psalm 117. There are many people who take note of this psalm due to its placement in Scripture, not only being the shortest chapter in the Psalms, it is the shortest chapter in the entire Bible, a mere two verses, 15 words or so in the Hebrew text, a little bit more, maybe 20 words in your English text. But it also sits in the exact middle of your Bible. If you were to Google, what's the middle chapter of the Bible? Psalm 117 would come up. But much more important than these simple facts is the message of Psalm 117. For within these two verses is the beauty of the gospel for the entire world. If you're looking for a title to this message, you can turn your sermon notes page over. The title would be, A Psalm for the Evangelist. A Psalm for the Evangelist. For the message contained here in this psalm is one that we proclaim far and wide to the ends of the earth. It is quite literally the message of this psalm that makes the work of an evangelist even possible. And we'll get into that. But let's dig into this 
rich psalm. It's, it's a two-point outline for you this morning, and don't be shocked. You can still have a two-point outline even with only two verses. And I have alliterated it too. Bonus points. But you have in verse 1 a global command. A global command in verse 1 and a glorious reason in verse 2. A global command and a glorious reason. And it's my prayer this morning that our understanding of the breadth of the gospel would be recognized and that we would rejoice in evangelizing to the lost. So let's take a look at verse 1, a global command. Verse 1, a global command. It begins with a very familiar phrase. Praise Yahweh. In the New American Standard text, it says, praise the Lord. In Hebrew, when you pronounce this exact phrase, it says, Hallel Yahweh, where we get the concept of Hallel Psalms, meaning praise. Hallel Yahweh, praise the Lord. And when you kind of shove those two words together, Hallel Yahweh, we get the word hallelujah. So when you sing hallelujah, when you sing forth praises to God that use that term, it quite literally is saying praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. And it's, it's not just any God that you're praising. The praise here is directed to Yahweh. When you look at your New American Standard text says capital L-O-R-D, which we know to be the covenant name of God, Yahweh, the personal name of God, the name which was revealed to Moses back in the incident of the burning bush. It's the name of one who's cared for his people from their very inception, and he is unique, he is mighty, and he is unparalleled. This phrase would have been very familiar to the Israelite people. It's commonly seen in the Psalms. You see it all over the place, but it's also littered throughout the historical narrative of Scripture. We saw it as God performed wondrous works for his people. He preserved them in spite of their sin. He cared for them in the desert. He lifted them up above all other nations and declared to them, I am your God and you shall be my people. When the Israelites read this phrase, a very Hebrew phrase. Although simple, it was loaded with meaning for them. For us, here in the 21st century, it kind of tends to be a catch-all statement sometimes. Praise the Lord. You hear of a friend who has recovered from illness. Praise the Lord. You hear a song lyric that rejoices in God. Praise the Lord. For the millennial generation, Gen X and Gen Z, whoever you are, whatever you are, they often shorten this to PTL. Hashtag blessed. We simply use it as an expression in thanksgiving to God, and, and rightly so. But in the context of Psalm 117 here, this isn't just a statement. Rather, this is a command from God. 
It's a non-negotiable. It's a requirement. Praise the Lord. This is what you are to do. And it's interesting to note who this command is directed toward. It says, praise Yahweh or praise the Lord, all nations. You would expect to see it say something like, praise the Lord, you his people. Praise the Lord, O Israel. Something like that. But it's a little different. It says, praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, all nations. We hear this typically in reference to the Gentiles. And the next line down provides a sort of parallel statement. It says, laud him all peoples. The term laud means to speak loudly of someone, to give high praise to someone. If, if you were to laud someone, you would rejoice in their accolades in some fashion, very broadly with many others. And that principle is true here for God. Laud him, speak loudly of him, all peoples. And it's interesting to note this verb laud, it actually has its roots in the Aramaic language, which was the dominant non-Hebrew language of the day. If you were not an Israelite, you most likely spoke Aramaic. So when we put this all together so far, these parallel lines... You have a command for all peoples, all nations, to praise Yahweh, the covenant God, the supreme God, who has no parallel. And this, this is a call not just for believers to be active in giving God glory. No, it, it's much further than that. It's also a call to the unbeliever to recognize that Yahweh is God, and there is no one like him. You have a verse that starts off expressing a Hebrew expression, a very generic Hebrew expression, which would have been known by the Hebrew people very well, but then it switches to address the nations, which was a Gentile concept, and then laud him is Aramaic in its roots. So quite literally, the psalmist is not just saying these things, he's demonstrating it through his speech. It'd be like, saying, let everyone on earth rejoice, and saying it in three different languages. It's interesting to note Psalm 148, just toward the end of the Psalter, has similar expressions. It's not on the screen, but just listen as I read this first part. It says, Praise Yahweh from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise him, sun and moon, all stars of light. Praise him, heavens of heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for he commanded and they were created. He caused them to stand forever and ever. Praise Yahweh from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, doing his word, mountains and all hills, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged birds, kings of the earth and all peoples. Let them praise the name of Yahweh, for his name alone is set on high. And then the final psalm of the Psalter expresses this very simply. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him with trumpet blast, with harp and lyre, with tambourine and dancing. Let everything that has breath praise Yah. Yah. 
which is a shortened form of Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. It's not just a, a simple, easy command, a simple, easy statement for us to express when we're tweeting. It has much greater implications than that. And you can see very early in the text of, say, Genesis, that the command for the entire world to praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, is nothing new. In Genesis chapter 12, God declares to Abraham that through him, that is, Abraham's descendants, which is the nation of Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the result, the, the outworking of that blessing is praise to God. The prophet Isaiah even wrote of this. Isaiah 12, verse 5. It says, Praise the Lord in song, for he has done majestic things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Further along in his text, Isaiah writes in Isaiah 61.11, For as the earth brings forth its branches, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to branch out, so Lord Yahweh will cause righteousness and praise to branch out before all the nations. This concept that all the earth should praise God, all nations, all people, is nothing new in the economy of God been a part of his plan all along. This is why in Paul's letter to the Romans, which Mike read earlier, Paul quotes this very psalm. It's Romans 15.11. You see, the church at Rome, interestingly enough, it had a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and they struggled to get along with each other. The Jews saw themselves as the OG, as the ones who deserve to praise God. And the Gentiles, they're just a weird group of people over here. They're, they're here in this church, but eh, they're not really a part of this. And Paul tells them no. He, he builds an argument which includes this psalm pointing out that praise to God is not just limited to the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. As I said earlier, this is how missionary work is possible. Salvation is for both the Jew and the Gentile, so go proclaim the glory of God to all nations. All nations need to hear. All nations are commanded to praise God. It's always a, a great time when I get to interact with our missionaries, whether they're in the field or on furlough. And here at MVBC, we're trying to take a very proactive approach to uh, interacting with our missionaries and staying in contact with them through calls every few months. We have the cards going out, uh, which I highly encourage you to take part in. And it's always a joy when, when I call them or when, when I interact with them here. It's amazing to hear of God's work in places that I can't reach places that I'll probably never go. Missionaries in Thailand. Missionaries in Cannes, France. I don't think I'll do that kind of traveling. But yet it's amazing to hear that the gospel is going forth to all 
peoples. And it's kind of a, a command for us this morning as well. Dear friends, don't become complacent in worship in this small corner in Idaho. The, the mission is far bigger than what we have here. The mission's far bigger because the message is far greater. Note that. Don't think that the buck stops here in these four walls. Don't think that worship is simply contained to what we do on Sunday mornings, that praising God is simply what we do when we gather and we have all our friends here sitting in nice, comfortable seats sometimes. Worship of God, it's, it's not just for the middle class. Let me say it that way. Don't, don't count somebody out because they dress differently. Don't count somebody out because they look different than you, because they have a different accent than you, because they're older than you or younger than you, because they talk differently. The gospel is for all peoples because all peoples are commanded to praise God. Now, I want to be clear I'm not saying that everyone will be saved. There are those who refuse to believe, and they will be judged eternally in hell for it. But that does not negate the command to worship God. God commands the entire world to worship Him because He's deserving of all their worship. And it's our duty to proclaim the gospel to all peoples. All people, all nations are commanded to praise God. However, many churches and, and parachurch organizations miss the point of this. They spend all their energy focused on numbers and programs. Every three weeks they start a new program or a new Bible study in an effort to get people through the doors focusing just on numbers. I've heard it a thousand times. We had 50 kids at the rally the other week. It was amazing. Over 250 people came to the fellowship meal. The, they're so concerned with the mission, with, with getting people in, that they neglect the message. I actually once visited a youth group like this, I had just left one youth group and was kind of searching around town for another one in Sioux City, Iowa. And there is a mega church in Sioux City, Iowa that has a rather large youth group, probably one of the largest ones in the city where there's several hundred teens that gather on a Wednesday night. And every week, this was amazing, they had free pizza, they had free hot dogs, drinks, they would show movies, they had games and prizes, all kinds of fun stuff. And I remember first walking through the door, seeing everyone, it was a loud and big group, and how eager they were that another person walked in the door, oh, you're new, you must be new, let's get you connected. But the gospel they proclaimed was weak. Sin was nothing more than a mere annoyance. Jesus was your buddy. And salvation was a cool thing, but it didn't demand your entire life. It was just there when you wanted it and when you needed it. 
They missed the message for the sake of the mission. John Piper says it best. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Which, pause, that's an interesting expression there from Piper. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Essentially saying that we, we go out to share the gospel because there are places where worship is not taking place. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. End quote. And this leads us to our second point in verse 2. Our second point, the glorious reason. We saw the global command, and, and then here the text give us, gives us a glorious reason in verse 2. You ask the question, why should the nations and people praise and extol Yahweh? Why is it important? Since it's a command, uh, there's got to be some purpose to it, right? What's the reason? And so we see in verse 2, we have two aspects of God that are on display here. It says, for his loving kindness prevails over us, and the truth of Yahweh is everlasting. Two aspects of God on display here in verse 2. When you ask the question, why should the nations and peoples praise and extol the Lord? Why should we be so focused on going out and declaring the gospel to all nations? Why does this matter? Take a look at these two aspects. The first of which is, is the word loving kindness. It's, it's the Hebrew word hesed, and we've seen it several times before. It's a rather difficult word to translate. We can't exactly encompass it in one English term. There, there's, there's a much greater brevity to it than that. It's often translated as loyal love, loving kindness, the, the covenant-keeping love. It runs in conjunction with the goodness of God in his love, the benefit of God in his love, the zeal of God in his love. All of these things are, are synonymous and captured within this one word, hesed, loving kindness. But I think one of, the, one of the best ways to capture this word is through the promises that God made and kept with his people. One of the, one of the greatest and most used definitions of this term, the greatest uh, 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 context of this term, is the covenant-keeping aspect of God's love. And we know these covenants from Scripture. You think back to Genesis chapter 9 where we have the Noahic covenant that's laid out, where God promises to Noah that he's never going to flood the earth again. He, he points out his bow in the sky, which we often translate as rainbow, but the, the context is actually more along the lines of a bow and arrow, and God is showing his weapon, in essence, to Israel, to Noah at this time, and saying, I will not use this against you again. He, he introduces restraints on sin. He introduces the concept of a government. 
And God demonstrated to Noah that his promises are true. His promises are right. He keeps them. He, he reinstitutes what, he, what God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. And then, a little bit further down in Genesis 15, we have what's called the Abrahamic covenant. Where God cuts, that's where we get the term, God cuts a covenant with himself where he lays out pieces of an animal on either side and he walks through, God does by himself, he walks through those pieces in a demonstration of a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with God's people. And essentially, God makes a promise which is upheld by his own character. He's saying to Abraham, Abraham, you are just a man. You can't be in this covenant with me because you will fail, but I am God, I am Yahweh, I will not fail. God says, I will stake these promises on my character. The promised land, having many descendants and a great blessing as a nation. And then in 2 Samuel 7, we have the Davidic covenant where God promises to establish a throne in the line of David, a kingdom that will never fade nor diminish. And God promises that there will be one day, there will one day be the ultimate rest, which is rest in glory, going back to the ultimate Sabbath, which was there in creation and then lost. And we know, based on David's storyline, that it wasn't David that upheld these promises. No, it was God. God, in his character, upheld these promises. That's the scope of the term hesed, love. It's God declaring himself to be a God who provides for his people, who's completely sovereign in all his work. His love knows no bounds. He, he makes promises. He keeps promises. He has never lost one, never broken one, never forgotten one. Interestingly enough, in the 23rd Psalm, David picks up on this. And you know this verse by heart. It says, Surely goodness and loving kindness, hesed, will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. David knew God makes promises. He keeps his promises. He does not neglect his people. He never forgets his people. His love is far greater than we can comprehend. And, and this love, it's not just for Jews. This is the beauty of this psalm. It's for all people. That's why all people are commanded to praise Yahweh. It's interesting how he states in this psalm, his loving kindness prevails over us. The NAS says something like, it's great toward us, a good translation as well. But it's interesting, this term prevails over us or, or is great toward us. It's actually used in the flood account five times to speak of the waters that were rising over the mountains. They were over all land. They prevailed over everything. And, and the point, the concept there is the fact that these waters could not be subdued. They were over everything. They were greater than everything, stronger than everything, more mighty than everything. They covered the whole world. And that's exactly the concept we see here in regard to the loving kindness of God. 
It's over all things. It prevails over us. Kind of like being mighty in battle. It's mightier than we are, stronger than we are, greater than we are. We can't subdue it. We can't control it. We can't negate it or neglect it. His loving kindness prevails over us. The second aspect of God is on the next line down. It says, The truth of Yahweh is everlasting. This word for truth here, it's the same term as faithfulness. And it conveys the fact that everything we know from God, everything we know from his word is sure. It's steady. It's there. It's true. It can't be negated. It's an absolute guarantee. What God says is truth. John 17, 17 is a good reflection of that. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. I think of how many times I've, I've purchased something or, or found something online that I really liked and it had some type of guarantee stamp to it and a little star next to it, which means you got to go down to the bottom, get your magnifier out and read the fine print. That's not a guarantee. It's good for five years. It's only good as long as you don't destroy it yourself somehow. It's only good if you treat it well. And if it falls apart, well, you have to pay a $15 shipping fee in order to get back to the company, and it's a mess. It's not a guarantee. This is a guarantee. The truth of Yahweh, the faithfulness of Yahweh, conveyed in his word. I love how it says this, it's everlasting. It has no expiration date. It has a better shelf life than those green beans you have. Long before we were born, in fact, long before Adam was even born, and long after we're gone, God's word will still stand true. Isn't that amazing? It never changes. The world goes into uproar. Things go nuts. We're trying to keep up with current trends, but God's word never changes. It's everlasting. It remains the same because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Don't miss the message here, people. The, the global command we proclaim to all people is based on a glorious reason, which is God himself. We don't, we don't proclaim the gospel so that you can join a, a community of sorts. We don't proclaim the gospel so that you can give us money. We don't proclaim the gospel so that you can dress up every Sunday and look fancy at 9 o'clock in the morning. No, we proclaim the gospel because it is the beauty and the majesty of God himself who sent his son to die so that we might live with him. That's why we proclaim the gospel. 
That's why our missionaries go out into the field. That's why they're in the far reaches of the earth. That's why guys such as Jim Elliott approached a tribe and got killed for it because he understood the beauty of the gospel. He understood how vital it was, how critical it was for us. I'd encourage you, don't just sit here today. It's, it's, a, it's a psalm for the evangelist, and that doesn't just apply to our missionaries. It applies to all of us. We are all called to go out and make disciples, to proclaim the glory of God to all nations, because, because God deserves all the glory. Have you ever considered that? How the fact that God himself is deserving of so much glory that we need to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim it, because even the earth itself cannot contain the glory of God. It's how amazing God is. And the gospel is a reflection of God. It's not just so that we can be justified, although that's great, and that's central to the gospel. It's not just so that we can sit on clouds and play harps all day, although I don't think that's a correct interpretation of heaven. It's not just so that we can live out a godly lifestyle. No. The heart of the gospel here is solely God himself. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. That's why we go out and preach the gospel to all the nations. Dear friends, there's so much joy wrapped up in the gospel. I, I, think of, I think of unreached people groups. You can go on to, there are certain websites that actually list all the nations that have, have yet to uh, have any sort of gospel message proclaimed to them, any sort of Bible written in their language. I know many translators who are working today to get more and more texts out to these nations that don't have a Bible in their language. And they all do it for the same purpose. For the glory of God to extend to all the nations. Their initiative is our initiative. The command taken straight from Psalm 117. A small psalm, but a psalm that declares literally the entirety of scripture in two verses. This is why we come to church. Why we proclaim God. For the glory of God to extend to all nations. This is the psalm of the evangelist. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this small but mighty psalm. We thank you for the joy it is to proclaim the glorious truth of your gospel. And Lord, we pray that we would not sit idly by, but that we would be evangelists that we would be missionaries to our neighbors, to our loved ones, to our friends, understanding that there is nothing greater, nothing more higher than the glory of you. Lord, we pray that, that this, this psalm would impact our lives, so much so that that our light would shine brightly to those around us, 
that we would never neglect the gospel call, but that we would live it out, that we would proclaim it with boldness, knowing that it transforms lives. Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. As we come to your table, Father, we pray that you would continue to sanctify us in your truth. You would continue to mold us to be more like you. We would understand the joy of being in fellowship with one another and ultimately the joy of being in fellowship with you. Lord, guide us in the coming days. May the, our thoughts, may our vision, may, may, may the words of our mouth reflect your praise. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.